Episode 8, The Warrior Sage. As some of you may know, I practiced the martial art of Aikido for some time before transitioning to my current Koryu practice. Aikido is a Japanese martial art that was founded by a man called Morihei Ueshiba. He created this martial art in the 1920s, but at that time referred to it as Aikibudo. Aikido as a Gendai Budo, or modern martial art, was recognised officially in 1942 when the Dai Nippon Butokukai, or Greater Japan Martial Virtue Society, reorganised and centralised the Japanese martial arts due to the government's request. Aikido now sits along other Japanese martial arts such as Judo, Karate-do and Kendo. The official Japanese governing body for Aikido is called the Aikikai Foundation and on their website this description can be found. Aikido is a Japanese martial art created during the 1920s by Murahe Ueshiba, an expert who reached the highest level of mastery in the classical Japanese martial arts. Aikido is performed by blending with the motions of the attacker and redirecting the force of the attack rather than opposing it head on. Aikido has no competition. The goal of Aikido training is to perfect, oh sorry, is not perfection of a step or skill, but rather improving one's character according to the rules of nature. And again, that directly from the website. The Aikikai Foundation also released the Ethic Charter of Aikido in 2015. This is what that says. Number one. The aim of Aikido is to strengthen mind and body, accumulating daily training and hard work together with our fellow practitioners. Number two, in daily training it is important to cultivate a mental attitude of understanding and respect for our training partners. In this manner one seeks that one becomes a well-balanced person of sincerity and devotion. And number three, a quote from Mr. Murahe Wishba himself says, The spirit of Aikido, Aiki means love. To accomplish the mission and responsibility to cherish and protect all things of the true way of Buddha. Aiki also means to overcome one's ego and extinguish your opponent's will to fight. Thus Aikido becomes a way to enable an absolute self-improvement by erasing the existence of the opponent itself. So those are the three points the Aikikai Foundation put out in the Ethic Charter. So Aikido as a martial art is often criticised for not being very martial. Mainline Aikido holds no competitions and practitioners are required to train in a cooperative manner. Some interpretations of Aikido look like a choreographed dance, uh, while at the other end of the spectrum the techniques are sharp and brutally applied but can come off as stiff. Critics would call the art in its current state irrelevant or pointless. This is how modern Aikido is represented, yet it would appear from historical records that Murahai Ueshiba was a respected practitioner of the martial arts. Mr. Worshipper is an enigma, and to quote Alice Amder, Why did some of Japan's most influential military men, as well as some of its strongest and most knowledgeable martial artists, view Worshipper Murahei with awe? End quote. Just a note here, you're going to see that sometimes I say Murahei Worshipper, and other times it might be written Worshipper Murahei. Traditionally, in Japan, the surname or, la or family name of a person is said first. So if I was being traditional, as Mr. Amdur was in that quote you just heard, I would say, Wishiba Murahei. However, as you see as I continue with the podcast, I sometimes switch them around and use our Western conventions and say his first name first, as in Murahei Wishiba. 
So today I'd like to delve into the mindset of the man himself. How did Murahe Weshaba view the world? What was he thinking when he decided to create this martial art? Would he recognise it as it is practised today? Where do we start with all this? Well, there's actually quite a bit of material written about the founder of Aikido. The challenge is trying to discern truth from fiction. Many myths surrounding Murahe Weshaba and many stories have been exaggerated down through the generations. To help me investigate the mindset of this man, I will turn to the works of John Stevens, Alice Amder, and the late Stanley Prannan, the founder of Aikido Journal. I will also be pulling some thoughts from Stanley's successor, Josh Gold. So let's start at the beginning. Murahe Weshiba was born in the present-day prefecture of Wakayama, Japan, on December the 14th, 1883. In 1903... He joined the Japanese Armed Forces and was stationed in Manchuria in 1904 during the Russo-Japanese War. It appears he never saw action in this time. Upon returning from Manchuria, he accepted his regular discharge from the army. In 1912, he encouraged a group of families to move with him to Hokkaido to pioneer a new settlement in the harsh northern conditions of this part of the country. While in Hokkaido, he met Sokako Takeda, the famed instructor of Daitoru Aikijujutsu. Right, I go now to Alice Amber's work for more information. Just bear with me, I'm going to read straight from the book. If you're interested in where this quote comes from, this is Alice's book, Hidden in Plain Sight. Takeda had almost innumerable students, or better put, he taught almost countless people in seminar formats. But unsurprisingly, given how much he travelled, he only had a few real disciples. He awarded 18 individuals teaching licences, uh, including amongst those his son Takeda Tokimune, who was the most prominent. Uh, so all these two became martial arts instructors, brilliant ones in fact, but their influence on the world at large was rather slight. They maintained dojo, and some of them even taught in seminar form themselves, but only one of Takeda's students truly shifted the world on its axis, Weshiba Murahei. So here we have a man that not only thrived technically under Takeda's instruction, but exceeded the man's teachings by creating his own martial art, which became popular enough to be eventually practised worldwide, a feat Takeda himself never really managed, although his successors have grown Daichoryu since. Before trying to work out the mindset of the founder of Aikido, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about his obsession with spirituality. It is often written that Murahe Weshiba's inspiration for Aikido came from two great men. The technical aspects came from Sokaku Takeda, but the uh, sorry, philosophical and spiritual elements came from someone else. Between 1919 and 1921, the esoteric practice of Omotokyo was reaching a membership of several millions. Even in remote Hokkaido, word of an exciting new religion headquartered in Awabe reached Weshiba's ears. He made for Awabe soon after. The spectacle at the Amotoko headquarters impressed Weshiba. He saw scores of long-haired men and women, clad in bright kimono and flowing skirts, bustling around huge halls and sacred ponds, all resolved to reform the world and create heaven on earth. The leader of the movement was a very charismatic and flamboyant man called Anisaburo Diguchi. In 1920, a 37-year-old Murahei moved his wife, three children and now his widowed mother to Awabe. 
Here he threw himself into the study of immortal creeds. Eventually, while at the headquarters, De Gucci asked worshipper to teach martial arts to the other immortal believers. It appeared De Gucci had grand plans and saw himself as a spiritual saviour of the world. He wanted to influence he wanted his influence to reach further than the borders of Japan. He was also becoming the focus of the local Japanese authorities, and not for good reasons. So in March 1924, Deguchi led a small group of people on an ill-fated journey into Mongolia. Here they were eventually arrested by the Chinese army and given over to the local Japanese consul a few days after their capture. Under Japanese military escort, they were returned to Japan at the end of July. By the 1930s, worshipper had distanced himself from both Takeda Deguchi and for various reasons... Ah, sorry, from both Takeda and Deguchi for various reasons... Alice writes a bit on this. In short, one teacher was a grouchy, paranoid old man who kept popping up expecting to take over and be taken care of, ridiculing Reshiba in the process. The other was an inflated, half-charlatan, half-holy man who delighted in molesting the maids by poking his August member through the soji screens. Takeda might have been occasionally burdensome and unpleasant, but Duguchi could get one imprisoned if not killed, and if Weshaba no longer fully shared Deguchi's ever-changing vision of utopia, no wonder that he might have decided that he didn't want to go to jail merely because his guru wouldn't keep his mouth shut. So we can see that Muruhu Weshaba's search for the true meaning of Budo was more than just a physical challenge, it was an intense spiritual journey as well. In his book Abundant Peace, John Stevens writes that Muruhu Weshaba's mindset was rooted in Shinto mysticism. Murahe was in continual communication with the gods, fairies and gremlins of old Japan. Moto Kuo epitomised this interest in esoteric Shinto. In his later years, the founder of Aikido would rattle off the names of obscure Shinto deities, string together combinations of baffling terms and offer peculiar interpretations of Japanese history during his talks to students. Could it be then that Weshiba was using his martial art as a vehicle for spiritual practice? Or was he using esoteric spiritual terms to try and convey the secret to his martial prowess? Alice Amder writes that Weshiba believed that to obtain harmony with divinity, both the activities of prayer and meditation complemented with the discipline of day-to-day Aikido practice had to be utilised. Amder also poses an interesting idea when referring to Weshiba's use of the term love in regards to Aikido. You will remember the quote used by the Aikikai Foundation earlier in this episode. Aiki means love, etc., etc. Amda writes the following. Weshiba once again offers that infuriating and inspiring concept so familiar to devotees of the art that Aikido is a work of love. Many have chosen to interpret this word as an unconditional self-sacrificing love that they link to pacifist philosophy. Weshiba's love is profoundly different. It is described in his meandering tale of primordial rupture between the two creator gods, Izanagi and Izanami, which he draws from the Kojiki. The quote ends there. The Kojiki is a very old Japanese document, often translated as records of ancient matters. It covers myths, legends, hymns, genealogies, and oral histories of the very earliest times of Japan. What Amda indicates here is that Weshiba sees love as a sense of harmony between yin and yang, or in this case, two gods. In other words, two opposing forces. The relationship between the two being dynamic and perpetual. Not the love as we Westerners may view it, 
Finally, we're starting to see that worshippers' perspective is set within the framework of esoteric Japanese spirituality. This colours his thinking on Aikido, and most likely his everyday life. He truly believed in divine forces at play, and he was part of that universe. So, here we have a pragmatic man who can lead pioneers into hostile country and tame it. He had been in the military and experienced danger in Mongolia, but he also grew up in an area of Japan with many myths and legends of Shinto origins. He was a man who understood how to generate tremendous martial power and could, would explain it via esoteric means. Truly a person in two worlds. There is a great lesson to learn here and I believe Matthew Kruger brought it up in episode 7. We must be careful glancing back into the past with our own values and prejudices intact because they are not the same values and prejudices that the people of that time may have held. Has the modern-day Aikido practitioner got the wrong idea about worshippers' writings and lectures? Aikido is often translated as the way of spiritual harmony. What was worshippers' spiritual harmony? What was the purpose of Aikido practice? Amda tackles this. Even with the most dedicated practice of physical technique, one very possibly will remain psychologically distorted, something we have seen in even graceful, very powerful martial artists. Similarly, were one merely to chant, meditate or otherwise strive to cleanse the psychological spiritual body, one might be at peace until one runs into the world, something occurring again and again when spiritual teachers of quite high attainment meet the temptations of modern society with the body still hungry for that energy. End quote. Here again we see worshipper wanting to reconcile these two ideas. Is this the harmony he speaks of? Amda continues. For worshipper, practice is for the purpose of creating a body that is not only analogous to the enlightened spirit, but also a body that makes the enlightened spirit possible, both on a microcosmic and macrocosmic level. He states, Thus Aikido harmonizes with all nature with purifying sins and impurities. I, worshipper, would like to repair and firmly rebuild this world in correct order through the gate of martial arts. Amda interprets this statement as worshipper's instructions in trying to create a certain type of Buddha body, one with the flexible, coiling, unblocked strength of a snake or dragon. Unfortunately, worshipper places the message in a thick soup of esoteric ramblings. As Amda says, worshipper was confusing, but not confused. The man had very clear goals for Aikido practice. So how did this strange martial artist gather such a strong following? Yes, with his technical ability he would have drawn a crowd, but he needed more than physical prowess to make his martial art a national treasure. Let's talk about the people he rubbed shoulders with other than the two that are usually talked about. As mentioned earlier, Murohei Weshiba was not a rambling fool. He always had purpose to his actions and appears to be very driven. You don't become a prominent martial artist by being lazy. It makes sense then to assume he would need backers, both financially and those in high places to further the growth of his martial art. It is known that Wishaba had long been sponsored by a number of military officers, generals and admirals since the 1920s, 
It was perhaps due to these connections that when the Amotokuo leader Toguchi and many of his followers were arrested and imprisoned due to anti-government sentiment, Weshiba was left free. I get the impression that Weshiba kept powerful people near him and read the political environment very well. He was connected. Amda and others named the individuals that looked out for Weshiba, but as this is not the focus of this episode, I recommend you look into their books and see for yourself. Right, with all this being said, what do I make of Murahe Weshiba? There's no doubt in my mind that he was driven to become an exceptional martial artist for his time. However, he saw the world through an esoteric lens that was an amalgamation of Shinto and other practices. He was driven in the pursuit of his goals, managing to avoid arrest by Japanese authorities or death by Chinese army firing squad. He knew who he needed to be connected with to keep him out of trouble and support the growth of his martial art. We must also remember that the origins of Aikido started with Aikiburo in the 1920s, and even though Japan was to be on the losing end of World War II, which went through to 1945, Aikido survived and prospered beyond that time. This leads me to believe that Murai Weshiba was a deeply spiritual man who was also smart and driven. What about my earlier question about the purpose of Aikido training now? Do we have it right? The impression I get from people such as Josh Gold and others is that Aikido is for conflict resolution, where an attack is turned into something else. There are no winners or losers. In this way, harmony is maintained. So I believe we have moved away from worshippers' harmony, that of two opposing forces within ourselves that are in perpetual dynamic motion, both in the physical and spiritual world. For balance to be maintained, sometimes forceful options may be chosen, at other times an indirect approach. Worshipper lived this, the evidence is how he successfully navigated his world. Now harmony is focused on other people, simply resolving conflict in the physical world. I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing. Josh Gold says, and I quote, In creating something more like a non-zero-sum situation, Aikido displaces the dynamics that produces winners and losers in the first place. It attempts to transform the conditions that would allow us to become enemies to one another, past, present and future. It insists that if you engage me, it will not be an episode in which one of us secures victory and walks away. It will constitute the beginning of a relationship that will change you from a competitor into a collaborator. End quote. So in summary, modern Aikido teaches de-escalation, and I value that. As a high school teacher in a state school, every day I de-escalate situations. I use this idea of harmony every day. So just to be clear, I do believe Aikido has value in our modern society. But is it wish of his Aikido? I don't think so. Okay, thanks for listening. Uh, it's now time for the quote of the episode. Murai Weshiba wrote many poems and lines of wisdom in his lifetime. I chose this one. For me it explains a little bit more about Weshiba's mindset. Large does not always defeat little. Little can become large by constant building. Large can become little by falling apart. <laughs>